Hi, welcome to Lambert Park Church. Our vision is life with God for the world. Our mission is to invite everyone to follow Jesus with us through redemptive community, intentional discipleship, and everyday mission. We're so glad you're here. Stay tuned for the podcast coming right up. We are going to invite our Moldova team to come up now. So, many of you would know, it's been a big journey for us this year of exploring a potential partnership with a wonderful, holistic development agency in the heart of Moldova called Beginning of Life Ministries. And a month and a bit ago, we commissioned a team to go. Uh, On our behalf, uh, these four ladies plus one, Luke Rosenberg, who's not with us today, but I think we'll see him on the screen. And and that day that we commissioned them, I read uh, Paul's words in Colossians, where Paul writes to the Colossians, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and he may encourage your hearts. And in that spirit, we sent out this team to go, not to do, but to go and build relationships to go and watch and learn and see what God is doing through this mythical ministry called Beginning of Life. And we need to get on the ground and be there, not just read a website, to celebrate and encourage what God is doing, to support and assist where possible. I think you guys did a fair amount of grunt work. Some hard work happened. And to learn, to learn from them, from what they're doing. And they went and we prayed and we saw social media posts and they got back and they've been recovering and today they're coming to tell us the stories. So, glad to have you. The mic's working better now. So Wonderful. Okay. Thank you, Scott. And thank you, church family, for having us back here. We are very excited to share about our trip. Um, so infi- excited, in fact, that we really struggled trying to summarize our trip in just one service and had to realize that we can't. So... <laughs> Please do come find us and talk to us if you want to learn more um, today after the service, but also in the coming weeks. We are excited to talk about Moldova, this beautiful country on the screen behind me. But first, I'd actually like to start by talking about Psalm 133, the next psalm in our series of the Psalm of Ascent. Um, This psalm really beautifully paints a picture of why we at Lambrick value mission, both locally and abroad. It's why this team of five went across the world to meet with our brothers and sisters in Christ in this very small, struggling country of Moldova, because God says it's good, which is a very simplified summary. Of course, God says it's good, we should probably do it. But this is a psalm, so it beautifully paints this picture that is a more robust way of helping us capture the vision. So let's read. Um, It's Psalm 133, if you want to look it up in your Bibles, but it will also be on the screen behind me while I'm talking about it. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. And then imagery of 
abundance, dripping oil, consuming the senses, excessive dew falling on Mount Zion, so much goodness, warm, fuzzy feelings. It's pleasant, isn't it? But it's so much more than that. This psalm isn't about a shallow singing kumbaya around the fire sort of moment. It is a much richer and in a way grittier goodness. To see more of that, we'll need to explore a few things that we lose in the translation to English or because we don't live in the time and the climate and the country. So let's start with this section. God's people living together in unity. This is actually referring to a specific situation, the time period between when a father has passed away and when his land is divided amongst his family, his children. And all the children and their families are living on this undivided land. I'm sure I don't need to tell anyone in here that tensions can run high in families. And the division of land was incredibly important, both for financial reasons as well as for social standing. So this is a situation that very easily could have spiraled out of control. So living together in unity in this sort of situation, it's tough. It's real, complicated, messy work to be done to achieve it. It requires taking tight control over our own tendencies toward greed and self-centeredness, while also not falling into the tendency towards just peacekeeping, turning a blind eye towards another sibling who is being done wrong. There is a call here for the real work of love, real peacemaking. For all God's people to live together in unity, that is not just a feel-good sentiment. It's complicated, difficult stuff, but it's worth doing. And the rest of the psalm really hammers that home. Let's keep going into the imagery of the precious oil. Now, the psalmist is referring to olive oil here, which most of us probably wouldn't refer to as precious. Just go down to a local grocery store and buy some. Uh, and we can recognize the abundance that's being used here, right? It's dripping down the face into the beard but precious. So back then, the surrounding countries didn't seem to be able to grow olive trees. So olive oil was actually quite unique to Israel. And uh, we see in the Book of Kings that it was actually accounted for amongst gold and silver and gems. It really was considered precious. So the goodness of doing the work of living in harmony is compared to an abundance of something so precious it's accounted for amongst silver and gold and poured out in such excess that it runs down the beard and not just any beard but Aaron's beard Aaron the first high priest of Israel the Aaron when Moses was too nervous to talk to Pharaoh God sent Aaron to talk to him that Aaron Bringing Aaron into the imagery brings a sense of spiritual maturity, importance, and probably even reference to the work of living in unity. This is something that we might be tempted, and they might be tempted, to see as more appropriate to be connected to a temple ritual, an act that is more 
obviously an act of worship. But here we see the imagery of Aaron being brought into the imagery of working to live in unity. And then something else that at first might seem a bit strange. The psalm references his beard. Now, if you try and think back about any time that Aaron's beard was referenced, you're not going to find any because it wasn't ever noted as a notable beard. It was just a beard. It's a pretty ordinary thing. Half the population can grow them. So now we have the combination of spiritual maturity and importance with everyday normalcy, all while talking about how good it is for God's people to live in unity. It makes me think of how loving our neighbors well often includes a combination of everyday, ordinary choices and spiritual maturity, while also leading to more spiritual maturity, as well as helping those everyday, ordinary decisions being easier to make with your neighbor's well-being in mind. The two are often more connected than we may realize, and definitely so in the complicated, messy work of caring for our neighbors so that we may live in unity. And finally, the do. I'm not sure what images come to your mind when you think of do, but for me, I always think of those really wonderful, crisp, early mornings where everything seems so calm and peaceful. You know, we're all just waking up, even the animals. It's a nice image and pleasant, but not much more than that. But for the Israelites, they would have had a very different connection with the dew because they relied on it as one of their main water sources. It wasn't a pleasant addition to a nice day. It was a necessity. And so is doing the work so that all God's people can live in unity. Yes, there is a sense of abundant, extravagant goodness and blessing when we do this work but there's also a grittier necessity to the work. God has created us in a way that we need to love our neighbors. It is necessary for our souls, like water is for our bodies. And when we realize that, act on it and obey him by loving others, then we are blessed. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. And so, we went to Moldova to learn more about how we can live together in unity with God's people on the other side of the world in a country that quite frankly, none of us knew very much about or anything about. I had to look it up on a map. I didn't know where it was. For we are all God's people, God's family. We are called to love those close to us, our friends, our families, those we rub shoulders with, those we share a language with, foods, customs, as well as those with a different language, different foods, different customs, different struggles, and different strengths. So we would like to share with you about that trip, about what we did, what we learned, some of the people we met, and how we saw the organization in Moldova, beginning of life, working to love their neighbors well, which they did. So we landed in afternoon. Um, we had some time to walk around the downtown, get some dinner, and begin adjusting to the time change. The next day on Tuesday, we jumped right into learning about beginning of life. 
The first part of our trip was spent learning about beginning of life and the programs that they run. And for the second part of our trip, we got to join in with a couple different camps and outreach events. So I'm going to tell you um, a little bit more about what each of those days were, and then interspersed, you'll hear some stories. On Tuesday, we began our day meeting with Vladimir, who founded Beginning of Life with his wife, Yulia. He spoke about the organization and about Moldova and the culture. So Beginning of Life works to serve the needs of the Moldovan people, as well as people of other countries, uh, mostly in Central Asia. They work holistically, serving the needs of the people in five different spheres. So emotional, physical, spiritual, intellectual, and social. They run various programs aimed at specific groups of people, and we had the opportunity to meet with each of the leaders of each of the programs. So you can see um, this is from their logo, and they have a different color representing each different program that they run. On Tuesday in the afternoon, we met with Yulia and Paulina at Urban Pass, just psychological art studio. Uh, the staff in this program are all trained art therapists, and they work with those who have emotional trauma or who have experienced difficulties, primarily through groups, but they also meet with individuals. So they run groups for kids, Ukrainian refugees, seniors, and have started a new men's group for Ukrainian refugees. They also train others so that the resources that they have developed and their programs can be used in other countries um, and other organizations. So one of the projects that they run is for single mothers. And one thing that's really special about this program is that all the women in the project are connected with a woman from their church, Light of the World, as a prayer partner and as a friend. So after meeting with Psychological Art Studio, we stopped in at Art Story. And so this is a store that sells art created by the women connected to Psychological Art Story as a way to help the women make some extra money. And so you can see some of the goodies that we picked up from the store there. On Wednesday morning, we began the day meeting with Olga at Urban Kids. So this past year, they had 110 mothers and 120 kids in their program, a mix of Moldovan and Ukrainian. So they aim to help vulnerable families change their environment and raise their children to be um, a level above the successful members of Moldova and society. So they work with the kids by working with the mothers. The mothers have the first hour of each session for a lesson, covering at least two of those five spheres that you saw earlier. And during the second hour, they get to practice what, what they have learned with the support of the Urban Kids staff. In the afternoon, we met with Sergey at Urban Youth. You'll hear about a couple different Sergeys that we met. Um, he shared how they use the circles of engagement to, youth re to reach youth across the city. So they're able to work directly in schools and have developed program manuals that they run in high schools targeting big issues in society that impact or threaten the youth, such as sexual trafficking, bullying, internet safety, pornography, and so on. They also teach about more neutral topics, such as just healthy relationships, both romantic and friendships, as well as help the youth to be proactive with helping others, helping their community, and being engaged in society. So through these programs, they draw the youth into the inner circles of youth who attend their youth programs at the center, get involved in their church community, and then in their leadership teams. So the goal through those circles is to build as many bridges as possible between the circles and engage and mentor the youth in whatever circle they're able to participate in at that moment. 
So next day, Thursday, we met with Vladimir again, who shared about the Studio Innovative Leadership. So this is a newer program, uh, started about nine years ago, and came out of a need for growth for the team and helping the team to really understand that holistic leadership. It grew to include people from their church, um, other programs, and then other countries. So before COVID, they ran yearly large events and conferences with Christian speakers from around Europe. So pastors, non-governmental organizations, and Christian leaders in Central Asia began to come to learn from beginning of life to set up similar programs in their own countries. So this program that they're running helps to teach others how to do missions in their own countries. We got to hear the heartbreaking story of a young woman, Takmina, who's from Tajikistan. She spent the last two years working at Beginning of Life and is heading back to Tajikistan to start a Christian ministry for young people in Tajikistan. So Brenda's gonna tell you a bit more about her. So Tajikistan, where in the world is Tajikistan? So you can see from the map, uh, like Moldova, we all had to look up where it is. It's a landlocked country and it's surrounded by Afghanistan, Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, and China. And in 1991, they declared independence from the Soviet Union. The population of close to one million is predominantly Muslim. Takmina, so we don't have a picture of hers because we were so engrossed in her story that we forgot to take a picture. But it's probably just as well for her own safety. Uh, Takmina, she's a 27-year-old woman who was raised by a single mom in, her, in a Muslim home. Her father died when she was a child and has with the custom there, uh, the traditions, her older brother assumed the role of the head of the household. When she was a teenager, she had a strong desire to learn Russian, and after searching many places to learn Russian, she went to live with a Russian family in another town who took her to church. She started attending church for the sole reason of learning Russian, but eventually God took a hold of her heart and she became a follower of Jesus. This was considered bringing shame to her family, so she experienced great pressure from her older brother to stop attending church. Takmina describes herself as being stubborn, and when she has her mind set on something, she's in all the way. The pressure was not only from her family, but also from her brother's friends, who would periodically report to him that she was still seen attending church. He eventually gave her an ultimatum to stop, and when she refused, he beat her severely. Still, she continued attending church. An uncle suggested that he lock her in his home until they could find a suitable husband. When she was married, she'd no longer be their responsibility. Takmina managed to escape her familial imprisonment after pleading with her mother. She eventually came to Moldova to attend college. While in Chisinau, Takmina connected with the Beginning of Life Ministry to attend uh, college, sorry, Beginning of Life Ministry and has worked there for the past couple of years. As Alyssa mentioned, a strength that we saw in Beginning of Life was their focus on developing missional leaders to work in their own countries. Tecmina is a really good example of this. While Tecmina's story was heartbreaking, God's hand upon her was evident. Earlier this spring, Tecmina felt a call to return to Tajikistan. She maintained contact with her pastor there and has now partnered with him to start a similar ministry with teen girls and young adult women. During her discernment process, Beginning of Life Leadership counseled and mentored her. They were, as you can imagine, 
very concerned about her safety in Tajikistan. Undeterred, she felt strongly called to return. She felt that she was well-equipped over the past years working at beginning of life, and earlier this month, she returned to Tajikistan to continue to serve the Lord there. Tekmina's story reflects the mission at beginning of life. The mission of God has written in Isaiah 61, 1-2. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We as a team were deeply touched by her faith and perseverance, and will continue to follow her story and to pray for her. Thanks, Brenda. Um, so moving along, on Thursday afternoon, we met with our final program at Beginning of Life, Sergey and Yvonne at Urban Teens. So they work to bring prevention and awareness in schools, um, also similar to the Urban Youth Program, but just with slightly younger kids. Part of the state curriculum includes spiritual and ethical education, but many teachers don't actually focus on this. So urban teens go into the local schools and do classes, helping to lay foundations within these topics. So historically, the schools have approached them when they've had an issues that they want outside influence with, such as drug use, relationships, and bullying, and so on. So they do the prevention work, um, nurturing leaders, working with educators to help build new leaders. They have weekly meetups with clubs, they have small groups, after-school micro-groups, challenge activities, social engagement activities, training workshops, and citywide events, um, one of which we got to help run on a Friday. So before we talk more about that, I just want to summarize a couple of our impressions of Beginning of Life. Some of the things that really struck us about Beginning of Life were the way that they do ministry and how they have ways to draw people in, nurture young people, and disciple and mentor the next generation of leaders. They're really doing what they've set out to do. The expectation is that people become engaged rather than be passive. They also do a really great job of pivoting to the needs of their community and are aware of what the needs are. So they're looking at what that root issue is and then they work to address that as well as offer support for those people that are struggling because of what the issue is. So we also saw examples of great leadership within the organization. We spent quite a bit of time with Sergey, um, pictured there, who's the executive director of Beginning of Life, um, and he has such a powerful story and he had a big impact on us. As well as Anya, we don't have a picture of her here, uh, but she did quite a bit of translating for us alongside Sergey, and both of them have taken on some pretty big projects and are so passionate about what they do, and you can just see that as they talk about their work. It was really cool. Um, Brenda's gonna tell you a little bit more about Sasha. So one of the things that did stand out for us was a strong leadership between, uh, strong relationships, sorry, between the leadership staff and volunteers. So Sergey, along with Vladimir and his wife, Yulia, they reviewed their vision and mission periodically with input from their staff. And as well, they provide and promote mentorship within the organization for both staff and for volunteers. We met a lot of volunteers at the beginning of life and were impressed actually of how they could attract volunteers from their associated church, the light of the world, and from their local Christian college. It's a small organization, about 30 staff, so volunteers are greatly needed to support their various ministries. 
So as I mentioned earlier, we saw evidence of mentoring and discipling at all levels of the organization. One example is Sasha, who is one of the Urban Kids leaders. Sasha became a believer in his teens, but was not following Jesus. He made some choices that put him in a situation where the police had become involved. Sasha's mentor brought to his attention the double life that he was living. He was deeply convicted that he needed to make a choice to follow Jesus with his heart and actions and not just with his words. He made a commitment then to serve God at the beginning of life and continued to be mentored. And now he's committed to discipling others. So you can see him and his wife there. They were helping to run one of the camps that I'm going to tell you about in a little bit. Um, so, as I mentioned already, we got to help the urban teen staff run a day program for some kids in the city. So the kids were split into groups with each of us as leaders, which was interesting because we didn't speak the language. <laughs> um, the kids, uh, and they participated in a series of challenge activities to gain points for their team. After the activities, since we're Canadian, they had us play a game of floor hockey against the kids. <laughs> We didn't try to win, but they worked so hard against themselves that it was pretty hard not to win. <laughs> uh, Sergey then finished with a short message for the kids, and then they all got a treat to take with them. So you can see all of the kids and us there. On Saturday, we went to a refugee camp in Ukraine near a small town called Ismail. So this camp housed people that were displaced by the war, with many coming from East Ukraine. So this is a camp that most of our Advent giving money went to, um, went to support, so we got to see what actually was going on there. So we got to see the camp and learn a bit more about how it was run before heading down to the lake where 20 people there were baptized. So these people were a mix of people from the Ukrainian camp as well as those from a church in nearby Ismail. So it was so beautiful to see people giving their lives to God in the middle of such hardship and to see the passion that the people there have for God. After the baptism, we had a church service and there was a big dinner for everyone, which we were not allowed to leave without having food. <laughs> Lisa's gonna tell you a bit more about some people she met there. Yes, the people of the Ukraine were so lovely, lo loving and welcoming. Seeing bapt baptisms being celebrated in a war-torn country is seeing God at work. I was very blessed to have been able to meet two amazing twins, Vicky and Laura. They approached me and wanted to talk to me. We shared our stories, or they shared their story about how they fled the Ukraine for Moldova. In Moldova, they were taken in by a church with a Russian pastor, and that was where they were led to the Lord and baptized. It just blows my mind that someone running from a Russian army is led to the Lord by a Russian pastor. Only God can write stories like that. Even with our age differences, we bonded on so many different levels. It was nice to show them pictures of my family, and we have exchanged a few emails back and forth, sending pictures along the way. During that time, we also prayed with them. One of their big prayer requests is that their mother would come to know the Lord as well. So I do pray that quite frequently. So we got back to our hotel around two o'clock in the morning um, and got to sleep in a little bit Sunday morning before attending Light of the World's second service of the day. So they run four different services, one on Friday and then three on Sunday. Um, we got to share a little bit about who we were 
And um, when we came back for their third service in the evening, Kenzie got to share a short message. After the service, we made pancakes for the congregation with maple syrup that we brought from home. <laughs> it was a really big hit. <laughs> they were very excited about maple syrup. Okay, so during our pancake extravaganza, uh, we met this 17-year-old boy named Alex. He quite liked the pancakes, enough to come and help us at the camp over the next couple of days. Actually, I think he agreed to help us simply because of his love for God and people. We showed in every conversation we had with him. And I'm glad he joined us because I think this shows one of the strengths that Beginning of Life um, has that we've touched on a little bit. They seem to really empower their community. Loving them and giving them a hand up when times are tough and then discipling them to do the same for others. And we see this with Alex. So Alex is not actually from Moldova, he is Armenian, and then moved to Ukraine, and then to Moldova. So if there are any here amongst us that are familiar with the history of the region, you might be able to guess what this means as far as what he's lived through. This boy is only 17 and he has survived three wars. Two in Armenia, and then had to flee Ukraine when the war broke out there. He is only 17, but he has seen and heard the stuff of nightmares. He needs to be surrounded by people who care, who can support him, and who can help him heal. And in doing that, Beginning of Life realized Alex loves to serve and be helpful. He speaks four languages, two of which are Russian and English, so he was asked to help translate for us at the camp that we were heading to over the next few days, and he jumped at the chance. Not only did this give him an opportunity to serve, but also to spend three days surrounded by adults who could care for him and support him. And eager to serve he was. He spent all Monday afternoon helping us measure and prepare wood that we would need for the next day, even serving as a table, as he was in this picture, <laughs> and then helping us translate with the kids the next couple of days, eager to help us and to help the kids just have fun. And to show his love for God and people just that much more, he plans to study psychology in university so that he can help other people heal from trauma as well. So that kind of leads us to our next part. Um, the next week, we are helping to run a day camp for kids in Baltata, just outside of the city. So Monday was spent planning and preparing, and then we were at the camp for Tuesday and Wednesday. So the facilities at this camp were originally used for families who have adopted children. So each of the families living there have adopted a group of siblings and are able to live there at the camp because housing and living costs for that many children are often unsustainable for most families. And they don't like to split kids up, so sometimes you're adopting five or six kids all at once. Um, so the camp then expanded to house Ukrainian refugees when they started coming to Moldova. And um, many of these families have since moved on to other places in Europe, but there are still quite a few refugees living there, primarily women, children, and elderly. So the camp that we helped to run included kids who had been adopted and the biological kids of the families that had adopted the kids, because often they had four or five, six kids of their own already. Um, Ukrainian refugee kids, as well as some kids from the local area. So in total, there were about 200 to 300 kids at the camp, is what we were told. We don't actually count, so I don't know if that's an accurate number. There was a lot of kids. Um, we're going to hear from Luke on the video a little bit more about this. Uh, we were at the 
team to put together a master class for the kids. Essentially, they were asking us to create a 40-minute program that would run for three times for about 60 kids. So this program could be anything as long as it was skill-based, could be done in about 40 minutes, and it could accommodate different ages. So I decided to throw out the idea of, well, why don't we make some birdhouses? Um, to which the team was fairly receptive to. Um, and so, you know, we, we took it to Sergey and said, well, what do you, what do you think of this? We're, we would like to build some birdhouses with the kids. To which Sergey kind of looked at us a little bit confused, and he said, a house for birds. <laughs> um, but despite his uh, initial kind of questioning, he, he was for the idea. So the day before we went to, to the camp um, to get everything ready, um, Sergey and I went out and we went to get the materials. And the first stop we made was to pick up some hammers and nails for the birdhouses. And we went to this massive store that could only be described as if Costco, Ikea, and Home Depot were all rolled into one, which is a very interesting experience. So we got back from our trip from the lumber yard. We, uh, we worked with the Kingdom Light team, loaded up the, the vans. We had uh, bouncy castles, many different games, and we were ready to go. So we drive all the way out to Balsata, which is about 30 minutes away from the Center for Beginning of Life. And we, we unloaded everything, and we looked at the time, and was like, okay, we got four hours to prepare. So I did, you know, I went back to my cut list, and was like, oh my goodness, we have over, over 400, 500 cuts to do. So we went and found the power tools, and they were in good enough working order to make it work. And so together as a team, we figured out a kind of an assembly line. Um, so we had... Kenzie marking everything out, me and Alyssa were cutting the wood, and Lisa was organizing into the birdhouses, and Brenda had probably the most important job, which was to learn Russian so that we could actually talk to the kids and help them build. <laughs> so we're ready to build these birdhouses, and finally the day of the master class comes. So we set up our tables, we get all the wood ready, all the nails and the hammers, and uh, the first wave of kids come, and we're expecting about 20 kids per, per group for 60 total, and about 25 show up. And so we're like, okay, great. You know, we're ready to build the birdhouses. We've got the plan. We've got Brenda, who's going to speak Russian to them. And all the kids speak Romanian, because there's two languages in Moldova. So luckily, we had some translators working with us that, uh, that spoke Romanian. So, so we were able to get on quite well. So we got the kids around the tables, and we started building the birdhouses step by step. And, and it was followed by a cacophony of, of hammers pounding away for for about 40 minutes. But in the end, we, we got the birdhouses built with the first group. So the first group left and the second group came, you know, as quick as the first one had left. They were overlapping. And, and this time, you know, we learned a lot from the first session with the kids. And, and so this one went much better. And then finally, our third group came. But about 25 minutes after we started, so with 15 minutes left, um, this one boy came to the station. Now, previously in the other groups, when someone came late, we kind of sent them away because there wasn't enough time. Um, but I had a bit of a soft spot for this kid because the day before when we were hosting games, he, he won the game that I was hosting. So I kind of thought, well, yeah, if he needs a bit of extra help at the end, you know, I don't mind staying the extra five, ten minutes. And so I, I got him all set up at the table, and, and he kind of said, said to me, I got this. And he grabs his pile, and he goes and, he goes and sits on the, on the ground rather than at the table with his hammer and nails. 
And he goes over to the sample birdhouse box that we created, and he just kind of stares at it for about a minute, kind of confidently shakes his head, and he goes over to his box and he and he assembles it and does kind of like a dry fit, and and then I I go and and I'm helping other kids with their birdhouses, and about seven minutes later he he comes up to me and he and he's got this fully built birdhouse, and it's it's a very nice birdhouse, um, probably the best one we had seen that day, um, and he did it all without help. Um, and so, and to make matters better, um, as soon as he was done, he put his birdhouse aside and he started helping all the other kids around with their birdhouses, which was pretty cool. So after, you know, every, everything was done, you know, we had about 10 minutes left after that, um, you know, I, I got a chance to talk to him through the translator, and he had never done woodworking before, he'd never swung a hammer, and he was just so, so gifted at it. And there's kind of this, this stereotype in the culture there that boys don't really smile or kind of show off, you know, much emotion. And so as I was talking to this kid, encouraged him, saying, you should be proud, like you've, you've done good work. And then you've learned that skill and you've taught it to others. You should be very proud. Uh, um, and a pretty cool moment for me was when I could see the, the smile start to kind of creep across his face. And he, he was trying to hold it in, but, uh, but the smile still showed. But there was all different ages. There was boys, there was girls, there was teenagers, there was, you know, kids as young as nine or eight. Uh, I'm pretty sure there was a five-year-old, but uh, we didn't know his age. Um, like, there's this one girl that she had never swung a hammer before. And she could just hit that nail perfectly and drive it in every time. It was just such an amazing experience to see these kids learn a new skill and to be a part of that. I will turn it over to whoever's next. As has been mentioned, we had a variety variety of kids join us at the camp in Bosada. Some were adopted kids, some were the uh, biological kids of those adopted parents, some were kids from just the surrounding area that wanted to go to camp, and some were Ukrainian refugees. And of course we didn't know who was who. We're not going up to the kids and asking them if they had just fled from a war. It's not exactly the loving thing to do. But there are a few signs that are typical in kids that have experienced trauma. And one of those is a lack of affect, just a very limited facial expressions. Um, a lot of what can look like just a blank look. So uh, this is the case for most of our time at the camp with this little guy behind me here. He would hang around us a lot, um, just kind of wandering around, sticking close. But no matter what we were doing, not smiling back, not waving back, not answering questions, just sticking close with kind of a blank face on his look, a blank look on his face. So I really wanted to see if I could make him smile. I knew the chances were high that I would not see a smile, but seeing adults do silly things and giving attention, it still feels good, even if it doesn't result in a smile. So it was worth a try. And at the end of the day, I was able to get him to crack a little smile for me. It didn't last long, even with that giant thing of cotton candy. That's simply not where he's at in his healing journey from the trauma he's experienced. But oh, that smile was just so precious. On the first day of that camp, um, we arrived and, you know, it was a little bit chaotic. There was a bouncy castle going up. Other bouncy thing for with slides for older kids, and suddenly I was told I was put in charge of running the bouncy castle. <laughs> it was so fun not knowing the language and having to explain to kids 
that if they wanted to go into the bouncy castle, they had to put their socks on. And I had no way to say it to them. <laughs> so you should have seen the sign language going on there. It was quite funny. But I did think I got through to a few kids, so they did run home to go get their socks so they could go into the bouncy castle. The other thing there, I had to time them, and they could only be in the bouncy castle for like five minutes per group. So that was another hard thing, is trying to keep all these kids that were standing there entertained while I had to, you know, let the other kids jump for five minutes. So, you know, you get out your watch and you start doing the countdown, like five, four, three, and then they'd be up running and touching my watch and we'd be doing all sorts of weird things and I don't know it was just so much fun and in all that chaos there's this little boy that comes running across the field and he goes hi I'm Vlad this is the general this is the little boy and I said hi I'm Lisa and he was such a respectful loving person he helped me explain to the little kids what they needed. He helped kind of organize things. And he was so great. It was just amazing to have him around to help. And the next, you know, later during that day, I would see him. And then the next day, this is us doing tattoos. Every time I'd see him, we'd give a high five and a smile. And it was just so fun to be able to connect with young people on such a great level. This has been just a small snapshot of what we experienced and what we witnessed of God's work through our brothers and sisters in Moldova. As Scott mentioned at the beginning, our vision trip was to do, to do just that, to develop relationships, to encourage our co-laborers in Christ, and to determine if their missions and goals are in alignment with ours. So what are the next steps? Over the next few months, We'll be meeting as a team with the MET, um, doing a bit of a deeper dive into the beginning of life ministry, and eventually we'll be making a recommendation to Lambrick's board. And in that process, we ask for your prayers, for discernment and wisdom, that we share what's important to be shared, that we hear what's important to be, to be heard, um, and that we, we trust God's guidance in all of it. Also, please continue to pray for the Moldovans and those in Central Asia to come to know God, his goodness and love, and to follow him. For beginning of life, we have some specific prayer requests. Um, one, developing a strong relationship with a new education minister to continue access to schools, something they've had before, but new minister means that could be taken away. Um, wisdom in planning their fall programs that are just starting up and um, for the beginning of life leadership, staff, volunteers for energy and um, that they would be giving with, you know, their hearts, their minds, their souls um, for God's glory in all of this. And we just received notice, um, it's not up there because we just received notice a day or two ago that they're actually starting a new group focusing on age, kids um, age 7 to 10 this year and they would love prayer as they navigate the challenges and potential blessings of starting a new group. And also, please pray for Takmina, who is now home in Tajikistan. Pray that her ministry will be fruitful and that she would be safe. That is not a given in her situation at all. 
There's also an opportunity to bless beginning of life in a more tangible way, which is also a great way to provide an opportunity to discuss God's call to love our neighbors that are hurting with your children or with friends and family that weren't here for whatever reason. Um, the art therapy that we mentioned at beginning of life uses various arts and crafts in their therapy sessions, um, but they used to get many of their supplies from Russia, which they obviously cannot now. So we asked for a list of supplies that we might be able to get them here in Canada and could ship over to them. And that list has been broken down into little cards that are each about $15 to $30 worth. They're on the Connect desk back there. Um, so if this feels like something God is asking you to do, um, pick up a card on your way out, uh, buy whatever supply is on that card and bring it back to the church within about a month. Uh, the date is on the back of the cards to help you remember. And if you have any questions about that, please ask me or uh, email me at kenzie at um, Let's pray. Dear God, you are powerful and good and you love all of us. Thank you for the opportunity to see the work that you are doing um, in a country on the other side of the world. Thank you for the work that you are doing over there. It is just astounding how much you are doing with what seems like such small resources. God, we ask that you continue to provide for them financially and with energy and uh, relationships within the government that allow them to reach the kids who need them. God, we pray for um, wisdom as they start a new program and um, navigate those challenges and uh, help them to see the blessings that are coming um, from following your, your guidance to start that program. And we ask specifically for Takmina, that you wrap her in your protection, that you um, speak clearly on how she can do things in a way that keep her safe, but also in a way that helps her reach her people with your love. God, I pray that you open the hearts of those that she is um, meeting with that um, they are able to hear of your goodness and truth through her words and her program, um, that she is able to do more than she could imagine through your power. God, uh, lead us as we discern whether we want to um, enter into a partnership with Beginning of Life, um, guide uh, us as a team, the MET and the board, um, and Lord, I pray that you help our, our congregation remember these people and pray for them throughout the coming weeks. You are good. Thank you for helping us to see it in a new way. Amen.